last week I said some really cool stuff at the very beginning and um, I didn't have my mic on and then was sad. Hi, and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast, where we explore how we can better understand our thoughts, feelings and actions, change our results and feel less alone as we navigate this crazy little thing called life. My name is Emily Chabborn, and I recorded this episode live in my free Facebook group, Unashamedly Human with Emily Chabborn. If you're not a member yet, head to the show notes to join this global community, and you'll be able to join me live next week as I record the next episode of Unashamedly Human, the podcast. Make sure you follow me on Instagram too, Unashamedly Emily, and enjoy this episode. Dear M, how do I stop worrying about people in my immediate circle's health when they don't look after themselves? For example, they're going to get really sick or pass away before their time. I know I can't control them or their behaviour or habits, but it robs me of peace 24-7. So this question actually came to me months ago, if I'm going to be completely honest. And since receiving that particular question, I've had lots of other people email me in for Emily Chadbourne with similar types of question, whether it be, um, I think my daughter's making a mistake in the relationship that she's in, whether it be my friend won't accept the help that I'm trying to give her, whether it be my partner seems to be self-destructing and I can't reach him whether it be my adult children are making decisions that I don't think are right for them. What do I do about that? Ultimately, it doesn't matter about the context, right? The context is irrelevant. The code is I am watching somebody make decisions in their life that I predict are not going to make them happy or are going to make them unwell or unsafe. And they won't listen to me when I'm trying to warn them. How do you help someone who doesn't think they need your help or who refuses your help? What do we do when someone doesn't listen to us, basically? It's so tough, isn't it? Because the people that we love the most are the people that we want to keep safest. And you can see it in the playground, can't you, really, with mothers and their children. There's always one mother who's like, yeah, jump down from the monkey paws, Alfie, go! And who's like convinced that her kid is going to bounce and happy for her kid to scrape their knees. And then you've got the other mother in the playground who's like like anxiously like holding her child as the child is climbing across the monkey bars and like not wanting her kid to swing too high on the swings. We have to actively encourage our child to learn what it feels like to fall because it's in the fall that the child learns. If something doesn't hurt, we'll probably keep doing it. If it didn't hurt every time you fell down, you probably wouldn't really learn to walk very well because it would just be okay that you fell down, but it really bloody hurts. So quite quickly as a kid, you're like, how can I not do that thing again? It really hurts. But as adults, sometimes we find ourselves metaphorically falling down and we'll fall down over and over and over again, even though the people around us are like, you could stop doing that. And it's tough to observe. It's tough to watch, especially when we know better, right? <laughs> if you're anything like me, I look sometimes at my mates and stuff and I'm like, what are you doing that for? That's just ridiculous. Don't do that. Just do life this way. Listen to everything I'm saying. I've got all the answers. And it's really easy to sit in your righteousness, especially when you've got experience in what is happening in front of you. Because as human beings, when we are in something, this is why we all need coaches. We all need 
observers of us or, or people who will help us better observe ourselves. Because when we're in it, when we're doing it, we just, we can't, it's really hard sometimes to expand our perception to see that there is a different way. But one of the things that I have learned to be true in business, actually, this is where I originally learned this lesson, is that there is a massive difference between the intellectualizing of a concept and then the embodiment of a concept. When I'm learning to swim and you give me a book and I read the book and I read all of the technicalities about breaststroke and front crawl and when to breathe and how to breathe. I can read, I can take in all of that information. But then when you put me in the pool, at the most, all I can do is doggy paddle and take on a lot of water. And it's gonna take me a few times of being in the pool to really learn how to swim. I'm not gonna learn from a book. I can only learn through experience. When you are depriving somebody that you love of experience, you're depriving them of a really great lesson. And you might think that you're trying to stop them from drowning, but they have to learn how to swim. You can't just ask them to get in the pool having read a book and then when they start drowning, jump in and save them because they'll never learn how to swim. And one of the things that I learned in the AA room was this thing called the gift of desperation. I have heard so many people's stories in those AA rooms and every single time the story is the same. It doesn't matter how rich or poor the person is, how nice or horrible their parents were, how educated or not educated they are, the story is the same. And the story is all of these people tried to help me and it wasn't until I hit the rock bottom that I chose to help myself. And we call that the gift of desperation. You cannot drag a friend into an AA room and be like, please stop drinking, please stop drinking, please stop drinking, because they'll sit there for maybe two or three sessions to appease you. And then they're gonna go back out and they're gonna keep drinking because they haven't hit their rock bottom. They have to decide they've got nowhere else to go but up. They have to be on the bottom of the pool gasping for air, going fuck, 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 I'm really drowning this time and no one is coming to save me. And it's so hard to do, as far as I can work out, it's the only way it works. Now that's not to say that we're just gonna watch while someone does something that is unsafe, right? But if you've got one adult in front of you who is choosing to do something with their life that you don't think is gonna work out for them, that is none of your business. I don't care if you're related to them, or it might be different if you're maybe married to them and they're making a financial decision or something that's gonna affect the family, but, but ultimately you don't get to decide somebody else's life. You don't get to decide what they should do with it, even if they're your adult children. And it's so hard but people don't learn through being told, they learn through experience. And those are painful lessons sometimes, but it's often the painful lessons that stick. Would you like daily text messages of support, positivity and love sent personally from me straight to your phone? Then sign up for Wake Up With Em. 
It's the affirmation service you didn't know you needed. The first month is free if you follow the link in the show notes. Good morning. You're awesome. So that's the first thing I wanted to say is that we have to understand the different, uh, the importance, sorry, we have to understand the importance of experience and understand this, this concept of the gift of desperation. When you are desperate enough, you will change. Most people won't change before desperation hits. Most people won't leave their shitty job until they've got no other choice. Most people won't leave that relationship until it's so bad that they can't stay. Most people won't change anything in their lives until it gets painful. Why would you? The second thing is that you can't heal for other people. So I want you to imagine just for a moment that your child, Alfie, has indeed fallen off the monkey bars and scraped his knee. And you'll run up to Alfie and you'll look at the wound and you'll assess what needs to be done, right? Now, likelihood is it's a scraped knee. We need to clean the wound and put a Band-Aid on it because that's us fixing the problem. But here's the thing. We're not actually fixing the problem for Alfie at all. We are not healing Alfie. Alfie is healing himself. We can clean the wound and it's important that we clean the room. Maybe we'll take out the little bits of gravel probably put a plaster over it so that it's protected. But we are not healing Alfie. He is healing himself. His innate wisdom, the divine intelligence that runs through you and me and every single being on this planet is healing him. You and I don't have the intelligence to heal Alfie. Alfie has the intelligence to heal Alfie. We just make sure that the environment is optimal for his healing to take place. But we don't heal it. We don't mend that wound. His body does. Because inside every single one of us is this innate intelligence that goes beyond our consciousness. We don't have conscious awareness of our body healing the cut. We don't. We don't lie there going, right, now hang on a minute. I need to produce some plasma. I need to produce some more red blood cells. I need to. We don't do that. Our body does that by itself. And in the same way, when we are watching a loved one in a self-destructive pattern, all we can do is clean the environment around them so that they can get on with their own healing. And it's really hard to do. I get it. It's really tough. But we cannot be the healing for other people. So what does creating that environment for somebody who is in that sort of self-destructive place look like? The first thing is that we need to create a really safe space without ego and without judgment. And this is really tough because if you're anything like me, (laughs) it's really easy to judge other people. When we turn around to someone that we love and we say, you need to leave that relationship. You need to leave your job. I can't listen to any more of this moaning. Um, I've given you all of the advice and you're not even taking any of it. What have I told you about your drinking? Don't make me nag you. These are all perfectly normal things that we say to people that we love because we're frustrated and we're scared, right? We're scared ourselves because we are seeing in front of us the destruction of a human being and it's scary to watch. My happiness is being compromised by your actions. My peace of mind is being compromised by your actions. That's how it feels, right? That's the way that we interpret this situation. And so naturally, we're going to get maybe even a bit aggressive with it. My God, how many times have I told you to stop drinking in the morning? 
You're doing this yourself. You're the only person responsible for me. Get a bit ranty. Loves a rant, me. Loves a rant. But what we're doing in that space is we are creating a division between us and the other person that we are trying to, to unite with so that we can help. Perfectly normal to feel all of those feelings. Don't berate yourself for it. I'm not here to, to tell you that you're wrong in feeling like that. But just be very aware that while you sit in a place of judgment, well, I told you he was going to do that again, didn't I, Sharon? Didn't I say if you went back to him, that same thing would happen? You're disconnecting from Sharon. We want to create a space, not where we tolerate the behavior necessarily, and we're going to talk about boundaries in a minute, but where that person can come and feel loved and heard. Where they can look at us and go, fuck man, I did it again. And we go, yeah, you did, hun. What are we gonna do about that moving forward? Where someone can come to you and say, oh, I keep doing this thing. I can, I've just seen myself in this pattern of behavior. How, like, help me. No one is coming to you for help if you're sitting in judgment of what they are doing. And it's hugely tough because it involves you doing work on yourself. You cannot do work on other people. You know, healers aren't fixers of other people. Healers are people that hold an environmental space where people can come and heal themselves. We clean the area around the wound so that that person has optimal conditions for their own healing. We don't do the fucking healing. You, that's not the definite, that, that's a very Western, very egotistical idea of healer. Come to me and I will make it better. No, let me create the space where you can come and do this shit yourself. Because by me trying to heal you, that's like me trying to read you a book about how to swim. It's not the way it works. Get in the fucking pool and I'll stand on the sideline to make sure that you don't drown. So you have to do the work on yourself. You have to go into your own judgments. You have to dissolve your own ego. And you will find some, some stuff about yourself and about how you think the world needs to be in order for you to feel safe that will be really, really interesting for you. Get really curious about, about your fear and about your anger and about your indignancy. I don't know if that's a word. And about your righteousness. Get really curious about that. God, I'm so angry with this person. Why? And nine times out of 10, it will be because you are scared because you feel fear, because it makes you feel uncomfortable. You go and manage your shit and you let your mate, your boyfriend, your cousin, your whatever, manage theirs. Because the only thing you have control of is you. So manage that. If like me, you love reading cool stuff, listening to interesting interviews and hearing funny, quirky stories that feel really relatable, then sign up for my famous Friday emails. They're jam-packed with awesomeness, and if you sign up and you're not into it, you can always unsubscribe. Link in the show notes, and I look forward to being in your inbox on Friday. It's Friday! In that, what we want to be doing is leading by demonstration. What we want to be doing is being very aware of how our behavior is affecting the environmental condition for the healing. So that means if you've got a mate, who you think might be drinking too much, don't go for a fucking wine with them. Don't drink around them. Not in a, I'm not drinking, so you shouldn't be drinking, Carol. But in a, I'm just going to choose to have an orange juice tonight. Not with ego, not with holier than thou, not with if I can do it, you can do it. 
but just in a, I'm here for you when you need it. I'm willing to do this for you. I love you enough to do this. You know, if you want somebody to crawl out of their hole and, and, and start exercising more or valuing their body more, you've got to be looking at what you are doing. You know, are you sitting there on the sofa night after night after night with your high metabolism, <laughs> eating a pork pie, and then, you know, telling your mate that she needs to go to the gym? We can only ever lead by demonstration, by silent demonstration, not vocal demonstration. Look at me going to the gym. Then you're not. If I can do it, you can do it. No, no, none of that. We just live our lives to the very best of our ability and our highest integrity. And the more that we do that with grace, and that's the word for it, it's channeling the energy of grace. What will potentially happen is that the people around you will be like, you seem to be doing something right. You seem to be quite happy at the moment. You know, in the last couple of years, since I've really got into Kundalini Yoga, some close friends of mine have just been like, you seem really grounded at the moment, Em. What's going on? Like, you seem like you're in a really good place. And my response has been, oh, yeah, it's been Kundalini Yoga. I've really enjoyed it. And I've been, you know, meditating twice a day for 20 minutes. And they've been like, wow, tell me more about that. What I haven't done is be like, guys, look how great Kundalini Yoga is. I've been meditating twice a day. You're all fucking idiots for not doing it. Because that's, that's not useful in this situation. In any situation ever, that's never useful. And so we want to lead by demonstration, but it needs to be silent demonstration. And if, and they might not, but if the people around you then go, wow, how are you doing life? Because <laughs> you seem to be doing it okay. Then we tell them. We never, ever, ever go to them to tell them. We wait to be invited to share. Really important. And maybe they never will. And that's okay. Because unconsciously they will know and see that you are there. The next thing to, um, that I want to talk about is boundaries. Just because we are leading by example and creating a safe space without judgment or ego around the person who is self-destructing, inching further and further towards the gift of desperation um, and potentially hitting their rock bottom. While we are in that space, we must have solid boundaries. What we're not doing is tolerating behavior. What we're not doing is allowing someone to be really shitty around us or really drunk around us. This isn't about being like, I'm just going to accept you totally for who you are. It's okay that you're being a dick. I'll take it because that's my job as a healer. That's not your job as a healer. Your job is to lead by demonstration. And one of the best things that you can do in that demonstration is to show what it is to have a very healthy boundary and self-love and self-respect. Because when you listen really, really intently to where someone is at in their behavior, their behavior is very unlikely to be the problem for them and more likely to be a symptom of the problem. So my alcohol abuse was not the problem. I had a problem with sitting still with my emotions and hearing myself and listening to myself and believing in myself and being comfortable enough with myself in a social situation and sometimes just even on my own to be sober. That was the problem. The alcohol was a symptom of that problem. Most people 
if they are in an addictive loop with something, whether it be a person, whether it be food, whether it be booze, when they are in that dependency, it is very unlikely that it is that that is the problem. That is probably the symptom of a problem, which is more than likely going to be past trauma that they haven't healed, confidence issues, self-esteem issues, don't believe in themselves, don't trust themselves. So you need to be the living demonstration of that, which is I love myself so much that I have solid boundaries and I love you so much that I will never put our relationship into the place of resentment, which is why I'm gonna have a solid boundary with you. You don't come to my house drunk, ever. You don't know, you don't know, you don't, why are you being so mean to me? You don't come to my house drunk, ever. I love you. You come to me sober whenever you need me, I am here. But I will not be in the resentment of you, hun. And when you come to my house drunk, I compromise my boundary. I compromise what's com comfortable to me and my family. And then I'm in the resentment of you. And I love you too much to be in the resentment of you. You come to my house sober, I'm here every time. You come to my house drunk, the door is closed. That's a boundary, that's a healthy boundary. Now, consciously, your drunk friend might be really offended. Unconsciously, what you have just done is given them a healthy demonstration of what they could be. Whether or not they choose to do that, whether or not they're at their rock bottom, that's not your responsibility. It may very well be that while you are living to your own integrity, to your own boundaries, to your own standards, to your own values, and you are demonstrating a healthy self-love, self-esteem, self-worth, the people around you who are in self-destructive behavior might be slightly repelled by you because your vibrational frequency is going to jar with their vibrational frequency. Now they might think, Things like, oh, you're up yourself, you don't care enough about me, you're not willing to drink with me, you're not willing to listen to me, you're not... And even though we know that that is not true, because we are holding a, a safe space for that person to come to should they wish to come, we can't buckle and then go and meet them where they're at. Okay, I'll have a drink with you. Okay, I'll excuse your behavior. Yeah, you're right, I don't know what it feels like to be you. We must maintain that vibrational frequency, which is I love you and I want the best for you. And I will continue to create a safe space for you to come when you are ready to make that change. But I cannot tolerate that self-destructive behavior in my life. And some people can't handle that level of love because it's a very deep, and quite confronting level of love for people who've never experienced it before, because that is unconditional. It sounds really conditional, right? You can't drink around me. But what you're saying is I will love you whether you are here or whether you are not here. I love you all the time, I love you anyway, but you, your behavior I will not tolerate. That's unconditional love. Sometimes you may find that people will fall off and disengage and the savior inside of you will want to get on your little white horse and clip clop across to them and make them see sense and make it about you. What you have to understand is that you, somebody else's behavior is not about you. It's not, it's about them. 
And you making it about you gets very painful for you because now what you're doing is you're saying, I need this person in front of me to behave this way so that I can be happy, so that I can feel safe, so that I can be okay in me. I need you to stop drinking so that I can have the relationship with you that I want. I need you to stop eating and start going to the gym so that I can feel safe. There's work to be done on you there because you can't put those conditions on another person. You can put conditions and boundaries around behavior for sure if it is affecting you, i.e. friend rocking up in the middle of the day drunk, affecting you and your kids, boundary. But you don't get to say, I feel uncomfortable when you display that behavior, so you need to change. You can, as an adult of yourself, decide that I'm no longer willing to feel uncomfortable around that behavior, so I'm going to set a boundary. But ultimately, you can't decide that somebody else needs to behave a certain way to be happy. Because you're outsourcing all of your power around your own happiness to another person. Very dangerous place to be in. So what we then need to do is move into our own spiritual journey around this, which is to surrender control. You have to surrender the control that you think that you need over other people to make yourself happy. You have to surrender the control that is creating the anxiety inside of you. Because when we grapple for control over things that are not in our control, whether that be time, whether that be a global pandemic, whether that be what Rob does on a Wednesday, whether that be what Janet eats on a Thursday, whether that be how much alcohol Rachel drinks at the weekend. When we decide that we need to control everything around us, all we have is anxiety. And that's when we get really angry with the people around us. And anger is another way that we try and regain control. Will you just stop drinking? Will you just stop eating? Will you just stop going back to that guy? Will you just leave your shitty job? Because what we're really saying is, I can't control you and it's making me feel anxious. You have to surrender that. And that is a spiritual journey that you have to go on. You're about to ask me, I can hear you asking me in your head, how do you do that? It's not something that you do, it's something that you choose and it takes conscious and consistent spiritual practice. Some days you'll get it kind of vaguely right and then other days you'll be so far away from it, but it's the first step is to recognize when you are doing it and then to consciously and intently take a step back and be like, wow, that's, I'm feeling like this because I'm trying to control what you are doing. And meditation will help you connect to yourself and to the universe in such a way that you will begin to shift just so subtly your perception of how you interact with the other energies and entities in this world. And that will really, really help. So a huge part of my surrender process has been dedicated meditation because I now no longer see myself as an individual on this planet surrounded by 7.7 .7 billion other individuals. I see myself as a symbiotic form of energy that is interacting with all of these other energies and I understand my place in that I do not get to control what you do and don't do and every time I try I feel a bit oh I know that's what I'm doing this oh feeling is a signal to me that I am trying to manipulate an energy that cannot be manipulated around me 
Now I can influence other people through demonstration of myself. And when I live in my own high integrity to my own standards, to my own boundaries and to my own values, I become the living demonstration to other people of what they could achieve if they wanted to. And I surround myself with people who are living to their standards and their boundaries and their values so that I'm constantly inspired by other people as well. And while I am doing that, I feel way less anxiety about what other people are doing because it's none of my fucking business. I had in my head much more of a structure around that and it came out a bit waffly, I think, at times. So I apologize for that, but I trusted it was really useful. I'm going to try and sum it up in a kind of soundbite for you. You cannot take away somebody else's experience because it's knowledge. You can't ask someone not to know something through the, the art form of experience. You have to allow other people the gift of desperation and you have to allow other people to experience their lives the way that they are going to experience it. They've got their own karma. They've got their own dharma. It is not your job to save another human being. What we can do is we can create an environment where someone can come to heal. That means creating a safe space without judgment, without ego. That means that you're going to have to do some self-reflection and internal work. We lead by demonstration all of the time. We assert very firm boundaries. We don't have to tolerate shitty behavior around people. And it's in the assertion of those boundaries that we lead by demonstration because we are demonstrating what self-love and self-worth is. And whenever we feel like we are trying to control another person, we have to take a step back and surrender that control because it's not ours to control. Just gonna jump into the questions. A current theme in my house is that the person I'm talking to is only able to control and manage their emotions, actions, and behavior. Yeah, and that's also a massive ask for a lot of people. Not everyone can control their emotions, actions, and behavior. And again, all we can do is assert a boundary around that and then demonstrate what it is to do that. You know, we, we think because we're talking to an adult that that adult should be adult, but we're not. Most of us are just the neurology of a five-year-old. Most of us are deploying strategies from when, that we learned when we were eight or three. If I have a big enough tantrum, someone will come and give me attention. If I throw my toys out of my pram, I'll get what I want. If I scream loud enough, someone will come and save me. So we assume that the person that we're speaking to is in control of their thoughts, behaviors, and emotions, but a lot of people aren't. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm having, I find myself just being really reactive. And again, constant and consistent meditation, not constant, consistent meditation practice will help you with that. But yeah, I know what you mean. You have to look at somebody and say, you are an autonomous human being that I do not get to manipulate and control because that won't make me feel good and it won't make you feel good and it will increase the division between us instead of unite us. Um, this is really useful. Thanks for a great podcast. You're welcome. This is exactly what I needed to hear. It resonates strongly. You're so welcome. Such great advice, Em. Thank you, honey. I'm glad you loved it. Wow, I love this. Awesome. I'm pleased it's landing. That's it for today's episode. I trust you loved it. And remember, you can join me as I record these episodes live. All of the details are in the show notes. If you love this episode, I'd really appreciate you sharing it on your socials. And please tag me, Unashamedly Emily. You can also share it through Spotify. And if you're listening on iTunes, then please rate and review. It really helps other people find this valuable content. 
And as always, nothing beats a good bit of word of mouth. So let your mates know all about this podcast. If you're interested in joining my global coaching community, the Unashamedly Human Hub, check out the link in the show notes. See you in the next episode and keep being brave.